Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, my co-host is Katie, and if you hear a cat meow, that's Albus, who's sad he's not allowed in the recording studio. Yeah, sorry about that, bud. That's on me. But let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 6, the noble and most ancient House of Black, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. The Black family tapestry is mainly a who's who of human crap. Araminti Mliflululoa. Araminti Mliflululoa. Yeah, that that chick. Well, she was just about as shitty as her name was difficult to say. The cleaning of Grimold Place is in full swing, bringing out more and more creepy crawly fucks than you can shake a wand at. The twins continue their plotting by pocketing more of the questionable paraphernalia found around the house, and Harry finally starts to enjoy himself, which is how you know that shit is about to go down. During episode 127, a little, try a lotle, our Potter pondering was, do you think that the relationship between Creature and Sirius could have been better if Sirius was kinder to him? Hello there, it is the support badger calling in my Potter pondering for this week. The question was whether I think Sirius and Creature's relationship would have been better if Sirius had treated Creature better. I think... I had initially said no, but I think the answer would be yes, because we see how well Creature responds to Regulus and all of that and how he responds to being treated well. So just like all of us, we respond to being treated well. So I think that definitely 110% Creature would have had a better relationship with Sirius if he would have treated him better. However, I don't think that that would have been long-lasting once Sirius decided to betray the family and leave. So, yes, I think it would have been better, but do I think it would have been long-lasting? No. But yeah, that's my Potter Pondering. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Would Creature have treated Sirius better if Sirius did the same? And I'm 100% sure, and here's why. I have two reasons. Reason number one is we have evidence in book seven that Creature is a better house elf when he's shown respect and you act like you care about what he got going on. When Harry, Ron, and Hermione pulled up and showed some actual concern about what he had going on, listened to his story, and actually began to treat him better, Creature was a wonderful house elf. He was taking care of them hand and foot and loving it, living his best life. I'm pretty sure that's the happiest he's probably been since Regulus had been around. And it was nice to read about that. Reason number two, and this is my theory on house elves. We all know that house elves have that servitude and loyalty to default. I think normal house elves are what we see in the Hogwarts kitchen with Hesba Smith's little house elf. Winky losing her shit when she got fired. 
these are normal house elf tendencies. This is just me talking. But I think when you start abusing them fucking house elves, that's when they lose their fucking shit, okay? Creature, abused, neglected, mistreated. You don't give a fuck about y'all no more. Spoiler alert. Uh, oh, serious ain't here, my boy. I don't know where yet. Hmm? Lies. He able to lie to you, y'all treat him so bad, okay? You don't give no fucks. You don't give no fucks what's going on. Not normal house elf behavior. Dobby bouncing out from the Malfoy's house to go to Harry's house. And basically, you know, it was hard for him. He was whooping his own ass. But he was over there telling their business. Okay? That is not normal. But because they abused Dobby, treat him like shit, beat his ass on the regular, death threats, he's glitching. Okay? He's glitching. Creature, glitching. Normal, winky. You see what I'm saying? You can't be abusing these magical creatures. One day, one day, they don't stop listening to y'all. I think they put that magic on them on purpose, you hear me? On purpose. I believe they are stronger than us. Do you remember when Malfoy was about to murk Harry? You hear me? I think that Dabby knocked him across the room. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Oh, you will not harm Harry Potter, okay? Better stop fucking with them. I ain't a wizard, yo, but damn. Hey, Ellen and Katie, it's Jackson here with this week's Spot of Pondering. Yes, I absolutely believe that the relationship between Sirius and Creature could have been better if Sirius had just been kind to Creature. I get Sirius's point of view. I absolutely do. Creature is a constant reminder of the family that he hated. And Creature was probably not that kind to Sirius when he was a kid either. But Dumbledore was right. Creature is to be pitied just as much as Dobby. Creature is what he has been made by humans. He has to be treated kindly because as we see in Deathly Hallows, he responds to kindness. He responds to respect. If Sirius had been kind to Creature, who knows what could have happened. Hey, it's me, Coency. Look, I'm going to be all the way 100. I don't think that this relationship was going to be good on either end. Creature reminded Sirius too much of his mother and the way that his mother and father, you know, ruled the house. And... Sirius reminded Creature of the pain that was caused to his mistress, being that his mistress looked at Sirius as not her son, blew him off the tapestry, said, nah, bruh, you don't belong to this family. So as far as Creature's concerned, he shouldn't have to follow behind Sirius. He should be probably Bellatrix's house elf. He should have probably went to the Malfoys or something. But as far as him and Sirius getting along, I don't see that happening on any front. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what is the name of the security wizard that inspects Harry's wand at the ministry? As soon as the guard realizes who Harry Potter is, Mr. Weasley rushes Harry away, saying, thank you, Eric, to get the hell out of there. Yup, before it becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. Always becoming a thing. Way to go, Harry. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley. Woohoo! 
Michaela has answered correctly quite a few times, though. One of these days, she's going to get in there first. I wonder who's going to win this week. We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 7, The Ministry of Magic, and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. Chapter 7, The Ministry of Magic, Part 1. Harry abruptly wakes up half past five the next morning, laying immobile for a few moments at the prospect of the impending hearing, before jumping out of bed and dressing in the clothes Mrs. Weasley laundered for him. Ron is still fast asleep, and Harry tries not to think about the next time he will see his best friend, and if he will still be a Hogwarts student then. He makes his way down to the kitchen and is surprised to find Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, Sirius, Lupin, and Tonks sitting there. Mrs. Weasley jumps up immediately and offers him breakfast, while Tonks asks Harry if he slept all right, and jumps up to pull out a chair for him, knocking another one over in the process. Mrs. Weasley gives Harry the breakfast options, and he settles on toast, as Lupin asks Tonks what she was saying about Scrimgeour. Tonks starts explaining that he's been asking her and Kingsley funny questions, and says they need to be more careful. Harry is relieved he doesn't have to participate in any conversation and attempts to eat his toast. Mrs. Weasley fusses with his t-shirt as Tonks yawns and says she's going to have to tell Dumbledore that she can't do night duty the next day since she's too tired. Arthur offers to cover for her since he has a report to finish anyway and then turns towards Harry to check on him. He isn't wearing his usual wizard robes, instead is dressed in pinstripe trousers and an old bomber jacket. Harry shrugs in response, and Mr. Weasley assures him that it will be over soon, and he'll be cleared in a few hours' time. He tells Harry that the hearing will take place in the office of the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, Amelia Bones. Tonks reassures Harry that she is fair and will hear him out. Harry nods, and Sirius advises him not to lose his temper. Harry nods again, and Lupin quietly reminds him that the law is on his side. He's then distracted by something cold trickling down his neck and thinks the disillusionment charm is being cast on him again before he realizes that it's Mrs. Weasley attempting to smooth his hair with a wet comb, desperately trying to get it to lie flat. Harry is saved by Mr. Weasley, who looks at his watch and suggests they go in a bit early. Everyone wishes him luck and he says he'll see them later before following Mr. Weasley along the hall and outside. As they begin walking, Harry asks if Mr. Weasley usually walks, and he explains that he apparates, but since Harry can't and he thinks it's better if they arrive in a non-magical way, they make their way to a nearby underground station. It's full of early morning commuters, and even Mr. Weasley has to curb his excitement about the automatic ticket machines, even though they're out of order. Harry buys their tickets from a sleepy-looking guard, since Mr. Weasley isn't great with muggle money, and the two board the train. After several stops, they get off at a station in the heart of London and head up the escalator through the ticket barrier and out onto the street. Mr. Weasley initially isn't quite sure where they are, making Harry nervous, but then figures it out and leads him down a side road and apologizes, since he's never used the visitor's entrance before. They walk until the buildings get smaller and they reach a street with shabby offices, a pub, and an overflowing dumpster. Harry expects a more impressive location for the Ministry of Magic, and is even more confused when Arthur leads him into an old red telephone box. Harry thinks the telephone may be out of order too, 
but Mr. Weasley says he's sure it's fine and dials 62442. A female voice welcomes them to the Ministry of Magic and asks for their name and business. Arthur states his name, department, and mentions that he's escorting Harry Potter for a disciplinary hearing. The female voice thanks him and tells the visitor to take a badge, which clicks and rattles out of the coin return on the phone. Harry takes the square silver badge that reads Harry Potter Disciplinary Hearing and pins it to his shirt as the voice directs them to the security desk for a search and wand registration. Then, the telephone box begins sinking into the ground, into the darkness and further down, until they end up at the end of a very long, splendid hall, with highly polished dark wood floors, a peacock blue ceiling with changing golden symbols, and more dark wood paneling along the walls, which are also set with many gilded fireplaces that witches and wizards are arriving and departing from. Halfway down the hall, there's a fountain with a group of golden statues depicting a wizard and witch being adoringly gazed at by a centaur, a goblin, and a house elf. Mr. Weasley leads Harry down the hall and past the fountain, which is glittering with sickles and knuts. Harry reads a sign saying the proceeds from the Fountain of Magical Brethren will be given to St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries, and he thinks to himself that he'll put in ten galleons if he isn't expelled. Mr. Weasley directs Harry to security where a badly shaven wizard inspects his wand using a strange brass instrument, something like a scale with only one dish. It sends out a strip of parchment that says it's 11 inches, phoenix feather core, and has been in use for four years. Harry confirms this and receives his wand back, but before they can walk away, the security guard realizes who Harry is, prompting Mr. Weasley to step in and hurry him away, thanking the guard and calling him Eric. They make it to one of about 20 lifts and join the crowd, where a big bearded wizard holding a large cardboard box greets Arthur. Mr. Weasley responds calling the wizard Bob and asking what he has in the box, learning that they thought it was a chicken until it started breathing fire. The lift arrives at this point and they all shuffle in. Several witches and wizards are staring at Harry curiously so he keeps his head down and flattens his fringe. The elevator begins ascending and the same cool female voice from the phone booth announces Level 7, Department of Magical Games and Sports, incorporating the British and Irish Quidditch League headquarters, official Gobstones Club, and Ludicrous Patton's office. The doors open and a wizard carrying an armful of brooms exits the lift. The doors close again and the elevator again moves up, then stops at Level 6. Department of Magical Transportation, incorporating the Flu Network Authority, Broom Regulatory Control, Port Key Office, and Apparition Test Center. This time, four or five witches and wizards exit the lift, and several paper airplanes swoop in. Mr. Weasley explains that they are interdepartmental memos and that they used to use owls, but the mess was unbelievable. The movie section starts out focusing on Ron snoring in bed, with Harry sleeping in bed behind him. As the camera pans up, the focus shifts to Harry and a faint whispering can be heard. When the camera changes to solely center on a dreaming Harry, Voldemort's voice whispers his name, and Mafalda Hopkirk's voice states that he has been expelled from Hogwarts, and Arthur's voice mentions the entire Wizengmot. The scene then switches to a shot of a large group of suited men riding down an escalator on the right, and Mr. Weasley slightly crouching and holding onto both handrails, 
leading Harry and another group of business people on the escalator on the left. He awkwardly releases the rails and steps off at the bottom, commenting on the genius of muggles for creating trains underground, as he attempts to make his way through the ticket barrier. When it won't open for him, Harry holds up the ticket and scans it for him, letting him through, then scans it again to pass through himself, to Mr. Weasley's delight. The scene cuts to the pair stepping onto a sidewalk and approaching a red telephone box. As Mr. Weasley opens the door, he tells Harry he's never used the visitor's entrance before, adding that it should be fun. The two step inside and Arthur pulls out muggle money and drops it into the phone as Harry looks a bit confused, until the inside of the phone booth begins to sink into the ground like an elevator. Mr. Weasley smiles at Harry as he opens the door for him, and they step out into the extremely large entryway into the lobby of the Ministry of Magic, which is lined with ornate fireplaces that show people arriving in a burst of green flames and filled with witches and wizards making their way into work. Harry looks around in awe as they approach the large atrium, complete with a central golden fountain depicting a centaur, a house elf, goblin, and witch. The atrium is also lined with several tiers of windows showing offices throughout and another golden statue of a wizard. As Mr. Weasley leads Harry towards the elevator, the latter looks up to see a large banner depicting a moving image of a solemn Cornelius Fudge and the Ministry logo. The two step into a very full elevator and Arthur is greeted by a wizard who is carrying a cardboard box that appears to contain an animal that emits flames. Several paper airplanes fly in after them, and Mr. Weasley leans forward to tell Harry that they are interdepartmental memos, informing him that they used to use owls, but the mess was unbelievable. Lots of streamlined similarities here. Mm-hmm. Indeed there is. The book starts out with Harry waking up. It's half past five. Dark and early in the morning. Fun. And for a moment, he's just laying there like, uh, hearing. Oh, God. Oh, God. But I think then he reaches the point where he just can't lay there anymore and he just gets up. Mm-hmm. Just get it over with. Get it over with. Mm-hmm. Jumps up, puts on the clothes that Mrs. Weasley said she laundered for him. She said she laundered his best clothes for him. And it's jeans and a T-shirt, which is so sad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Ron is still fast asleep. And Harry's just like, the next time I see my best friend... I might not be a Hogwarts student then, because he's an optimist. Sure. Glass half empty, full. Get me another drink. Uh, who cares? <laughs> There's a glass. I'm thirsty. Mm-hmm. And similarly, in the movie, we see Ron doing what he does best in the movies, snoring. Any kind of sound effect, really. Basically, yeah. Because, I mean, that's about all he's good for, you know, in the movies. Yeah. Good. Now that that's established, we move past him to see Harry sleeping in the next bed over. We then hear all of the thoughts swirling around in Harry's head as he fitfully tries to get some rest while digesting all of the info he just learned, which wasn't a whole lot, but it was still more than he had before, so. Yeah. So kind of similar? Mm-hmm. Not fully similar? Yeah. In, in the sense that he sleeps in a bed. And Ron is still sleeping. And Ron is sleeping, <laughs> Yes. So ding-ish. Ish. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> but that's also about the only thing that is kind of similar mm-hmm. in this part, because then the movie just streams out this next bit completely. Yeah. After dressing, Harry just goes down to the kitchen, and he expects it to be empty. Maybe somebody's up. Probably Mrs. Weasley. Yeah. That would seem likely. Right. But instead, he finds both Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, plus Sirius, plus Lupin, Plus tongs. 
all just sitting there. Full house. Full house. It's a lot of people to be up at like 5 a.m. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Weasley does what Mrs. Weasley does and just immediately jumps up and offers him food. Of course. Whereas Tonks is like, hey, Harry, how'd you sleep? And this is one of those situations where all he can do is shrug. Yeah. I I mean, my eyes were closed. I had bad dreams. I opened them again. I am here now. Yeah. <laughs> she also jumps up to get a chair for him and knocks another chair over in the process. And I'm still super bummed that we didn't get to see enough of klutzy tongs. Oh, that tongs. Oh, that tongs. Totally a catchphrase. <laughs> wah, wah. Laugh track. <laughs> so Mrs. Weasley lists off all of the different breakfast options. You know, eggs. Mm-hmm. I don't know, porridge. I, I don't remember what they Full all are. Full English. In the end. Fried tomato. Fucking. All the, all the good shit. All the good shit. In mm-hmm. the end, he's just like, I'll have toast. I mean, those nerves. Toast is probably the safest bet. I feel like that'd be the easiest on his stomach for sure. Yeah. But he still struggles to eat it. Well, yeah. Lupin takes a good look at him and sees what state of mind he's in and just directs the conversation away from Harry and just asks Tonks what she had been saying about Scrimgeour. Mm-hmm. That's the right call. Yeah. Definitely. Because Lupin's so good at that. Mm-hmm. But Tonks starts explaining that Scrimgeour has been asking her and Kingsley some really strange leading questions. Like, he seems to find them to be a little sus. Mm-hmm. He's onto them in some way. Yeah, so they need to be more careful, Mm -hmm. which they probably do anyway, given the situation. Definitely. And Harry's just sitting over there absolutely relieved that he doesn't have to talk to anybody and just keeps trying to eat his toast, but it's just getting caught in his throat. Right. He's not swallowing well. For the first time in how long he has not wanted anyone to make conversation with him. Right. Then to make matters worse, Mrs. Weasley's like smoothing wrinkles on his t-shirts and just like fussing with him. And he's like, oh, God, I wish she wouldn't do that. Just leave me alone. Let me try to eat my toast in peace. Mm-hmm. And Tonks yawns and says she's going to have to tell Dumbledore that she's just too tired to do night duty the next day. Which is interesting because that's something like a little bit of a slip. Mm-hmm. The night duty. Harry thought that that duty was guarding him. Yeah, guard duty was supposed to be about him. Yeah, there's still something they're guarding. Yeah. I don't know if Harry's just too out of it to, like, have his metal radar pick up on that. He's just trying to swallow the toast. Right. Or maybe he's thinking, like, oh, they're guarding Grimmauld Place. Maybe. Yeah. But then Arthur says that he'll cover for her since he has a report to finish anyway. Sure. And if Harry were in his normal state of mind, this would have been like radar ping. Yeah. Absolutely. Metal senses would be tingling. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Mr. Weasley then asks Harry how he's doing. And again, Harry's just like, shrug. (laughs) How do you think I'm doing? Yeah. Stop asking me that. I am not good. Don't make me lie to you. I'm about to have an absolute meltdown. I can't even eat my toast. Or we could just move on and not talk about me, please. Thank you. Yeah. Harry does notice that Mr. Weasley is not dressed in his usual wizard robes. No. He is actually wearing pinstripe trousers and an old bomber jacket because the book always has wizards dressing like shitty muggles. Mm-hmm. Well, not like shitty muggles, but dressing <laughs> shittily like muggles. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to work out the phrasing of that. Yeah. Although I have to say, that actually sounds kind of boss. Pinstripe, Pinstripe trousers and, and an old bomber, bomber jacket? jacket? <laughs> Hell yeah, that sounds like kind of badass. Well, same within Goblet of Fire, he had the whole like golf sweater and jeans, mm-hmm. like faded jeans. Yeah, dad outfit sounded yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. But this just kind of, I don't know, it sounds badass. Of course, I'm a sucker for any time anyone's going to mention pinstripe trousers. So <laughs> I'm in. I just really, really, really wish that we could have seen the shittily dressed wizards mm-hmm. attempting to dress like muggles and not pulling it off properly. Yeah. Because we do see him dressed like a muggle in the movie, and he's just dressed like a muggle. Oh, he just looks like a dude going to work. But that's what everybody in the wizarding world looks like. They all dress like muggles. There is no, like, wizarding outfits except for, you know, Dumbledore and McGonagall, kind of. Yeah. And even then, that's just Dumbledore liking a healthy breeze around his privates. Well, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Archie loves it. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway... At Harry's shrug in response, because he can't actually say anything, Mr. Weasley tells him that this is all going to be over soon. You will be cleared in a few hours' time. That's easier said than believed. believed. Yeah. yeah. But hey, actual optimist. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. They love Mr. Weasley. <laughs> he also gives Harry more information, because he knows Harry. Yeah. Informs him that the hearing is going to be in the office of the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, whose name is Amelia Bones. Which we've heard that name we've before. We've heard that last name, at least. Yeah, We do find name. out a little bit more about who that is exactly later on, in the book anyway. Mm-hmm. And Tonks speaks up to tell Harry that she's very fair and will hear him out. And Harry just nods because he still can't talk. Right. Then Sirius gives him the advice to keep cool, don't lose your temper. <laughs> Again, Harry nods. Just no words for him. Even if he had the words, I don't think he could get his mouth to actually make them at this point. I mean, what do you say to these kind of things anyway? It's all stuff to just make him feel better. Right. I think he just nod. Yeah. And then Lupin quietly reminds him that the law is on his side. Which that's not even just being optimistic. That is a fact right there. Yeah. If they legitimately follow their own laws, Mm -hmm. they can't actually punish him. Yeah, there's nothing they can do. It doesn't make it any less stressful. And you don't know what kind of punches whoever is going to pull. Right. Basically because now he's had all this time to think about the fact that the whole wizarding world hates him. Right. You know? So he's like, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to try to pull out of their asses. Maybe there's some weird fucking loophole. Who the hell knows? And he's spent the past, at least in the book, several days going on a week, I think, Mm -hmm. just trying to not think about all of this stuff. And now there's nothing to distract him. Now it's just here. Yeah. Although he does get a new distraction when something cold starts trickling down his neck. And he thinks he's being disillusioned again. Because that's what it felt like. The description of like the egg breaking on his head and trickling down his back. I think that's what he's hoping at that point. Please just let me disappear. (laughs) Except no. It's actually Mrs. Weasley desperately trying to get his hair to lie flat with a wet comb oh okay well that's yeah that's better than it could have been too yeah and she's just like does it ever lie flat And he's just like no just don't bother it's cute that you're trying but just she really wants him to make a good first impression but i don't see how that's gonna help him at all right plus everybody knows what he looks like yeah no this is not a making a first impression this is him battling 
all infamy. Yeah. Of previous notoriety, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's trying. She doesn't know what else to do. She's probably just as stressed as he is in her own way. Yeah. And she's totally just fussing over him. And Harry's just like, you're just making it worse. Mm-hmm. But he's rescued by Mr. Weasley, who probably knows exactly what it feels like when Molly fusses <laughs> over somebody. And he yeah. just looks at his watch and just like, maybe we'll go in early. <laughs> so everybody wishes him luck. And he says he'll see them later. And then... He and Mr. Weasley just head up the hall and outside and start walking. And Harry's just like, do you normally walk to work? (laughs) Yes, Harry, I normally walk. Mm -hmm. But hey, you know what? At least he's finding it in his heart to meddle into something. Yeah. Probably just got his mind off of it for two seconds. Yeah, something. Any kind of distraction he can find. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that Mr. Weasley understands that as well because he actually tells him, no, I normally apparate, but you can't. And it's probably better if we don't arrive in a magical fashion anyway, considering what you're in trouble for. Yeah. So we're going to go to the train station and we're going to take a train and we're going to go in the visitor's entrance. Let's be honest, though. Nobody had to twist Arthur's arm to do that. Oh, no. He is totally (laughs) thrilled. They get to the nearby underground station and it's just full of all of the other commuters and Mr. Weasley's just like oh my god automatic ticket machines and Harry's just like they don't even work like why are you so excited he's like it's still amazing they exist it's a thing they thought of (laughs) muggles are just ingenious yeah that's definitely not how it happened in the movie though it does tie back in here so yay and this is where the real hijinks begin yay all the wacky kooky muggle fun that we all love (laughs) it starts off on the arthur weasley tour of awesome shit muggles come up with and it's the escalators going down to the tube because that's got to be fun for someone who's never seen an escalator uh yeah and for someone who's gone to hogwarts and knows what a bitch cardio is yeah it's like wait a minute why can't we get these at hogwarts these are fucking awesome. You know they could totally make magical ones. Exactly. Right? Hmm. I digress. Anywho. That's what I'm known in the wizarding world for. <laughs> <laughs> I invented magical escalators. <laughs> You're welcome for the convenience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're welcome, all future students of Hogwarts. But Arthur, having no idea how to ride an escalator, just rides dead center down while holding onto both rails, ensuring that (laughs) no morning commuter can pass him up to get to their train on time. Because why? He's excited. He is. And he's he's holding on for dear life. I love how he's like squatted just a little bit like he's skiing. (laughs) It's very much like he's waiting to just go whoosh. I love it so much. We're going to end up talking more about that Mm -hmm. when we get to talking about Mark Williams. But I love it so much. And the only reason that no one tells him to fuck off is because this is a family movie and that's not within the rating, obviously. Yeah. Right? But I feel like this is the most telling sign that this is a work of fiction because if you were to hold up a group of commuters on their way to work in the morning, they're definitely not going to just stand by and just, like, look calmly about it. Even if they're British. Like, they're not just going to be chill behind you about it. At the very least, there would be a chorus of, like, loud sighing. Like, ugh. Ugh. But no. No sighing. No foot tapping. No one even shanks Arthur with a Mont Blanc pen. I call bullshit. Yeah, I didn't see anybody look at their watch. No. They just 
were behind him. They were just behind him, just chilling. And even the and even the other people coming down the escalator, they weren't moving, really. They were just waiting for the escalator. Like Most people that I watch on escalators, especially commuters, yeah. totally walk on the escalators. Yeah. It just gets you there faster. You stand to one side, you the walk other side's on the other. for walking. Unless you're Arthur, and you just grip <laughs> both sides and panic. Exactly. <sighs> Except it wasn't so much a panic as it was like an excited panic. Yeah. He's like, this is so neat. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like tittering. <laughs> but then they get to the bottom and he very awkwardly steps off the escalator, much the same way that everybody I've ever known has stepped off a moving sidewalk in an airport. Well, that feels so weird, right? <laughs> Especially if you walk along the moving sidewalk and then you walk <laughs> off the end of it. But all of a sudden you're like not moving as fast as you were You're not going and nearly as I fast. I have never seen anybody not stumble a little bit. Right. Including myself. You have to really prepare yourself. Yeah. And even then you still have that quick like step turn, step turn right. to, to catch yourself really. So that must have been how it felt for Arthur. Uh-huh. I mean, he had to be like, uh, now it's up to me. Okay. I'm walking. I'm walking. I'm walking. <laughs> Everyone's just trying to not look like an asshole that trips and falls in front of everybody. You know? And that's exactly what Arthur was doing. At least he thought about it. At least well, he, yeah. like, was prepared. I loved it, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. He then makes a comment about how genius muggles are with their underground trains and whatnot as they make their way to the ticket barriers. Which is actually pretty similar to something he says in the book. Mm-hmm. And he's all excited about the ingenuity of muggles. Yeah, but he's unsure of what to do and therefore just copying what he thinks he sees everyone else doing. And he attempts to swipe his hand over the pay pad because that's what he's seeing everyone else do. So he's like, oh, yeah, okay, okay I can yeah. do that. Sure. And he does it with such confidence. I know. Too. <laughs> <laughs> he's that like, didn't work. I'll try again. He's almost proud of himself. He's just like, whoop, got it. Oh, it's not Don't open. got it. <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously, yeah, the, the gates won't open for him. So he attempts to swipe the hand again. And Harry, without having the logic to say, hey, wait, I got this, just silently digs out their tickets from his pocket. And then he holds it up for Mr. Weasley to see before scanning it himself, letting Mr. Weasley through because now the barrier is open. <laughs> and then he scans it again and he walks through himself. What I want to know is, why were the tickets in your pockets? Like, who buys tickets from the ticket counter and then goes to right the barrier? Have them ready, guy. Right. And is not prepared for that. Have them ready. And why would Harry have not gone through first to show him what to do? I think we can play that down to Harry's nerves. Yeah, okay. Probably. He's just like, I'm just following this man. I have no idea where I'm going. It's like when the doctor's office calls you back and... They hold the door open for you, so you start to walk in, and they walk behind you, but you're like, I don't know where the fuck I'm going. Right? I hate that. <laughs> I have no clue where I'm going, so you just kind of stand there you for like a second. You, like, walk in and step off to the side and stare yeah. at them. <laughs> you, like, wait for them, like, okay, lead me. Where like, am I going? Have the doors open inward, so they walk in first and hold the door open for you, and then right? you walk through, and then they let the door close, and then they lead the way. Exactly. And then it's not a weird, awkward dance. That's way off topic. <laughs> yeah. That is beside the point, mm-hmm. which is actually, honestly, I think that the movie captured the essence of how it happened in the book really well, even though it wasn't the same. Yeah. It definitely showed Mr. Weasley's excitement and certain level of muggle incompetence. So even though it's done differently, it feels right. It worked. Yeah. 
It did. I mean, it wasn't exactly the same. It's never going to be. But you know what? That actually was okay for me. Yeah, I was not upset by that at all. Yeah. Because I loved everything about Mark Williams' performance as Mr. Weasley. Oh, he did so well. But we'll get to that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The way that it happened in the book was because Mr. Weasley's not great with muggle money and the automatic ticket booths were out of order, Harry had to just buy him from a sleepy looking guard. Sure. And I imagine they did that in the movie as well. We just didn't get to see it because Harry had tickets. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they were able to board the train. It didn't say anything about trouble getting through a ticket barrier. Yeah. Didn't have any fun moments on an escalator, but I'm not upset that we got to see that because it was delightful. Right? It's just fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I almost, in a weird way, imagine this was, like, their way of showing, okay, we didn't change the outfits. We didn't have the weird outfits on them. But wizards are just as inept at muggle things. As you would think. I personally think watching that scene with Mark Williams wearing pinstripe trousers and a bomber jacket would have only enhanced it. Oh, that would have been amazing. (laughs) That would have been bomb, is what that would have been. Leather bomb. Leather bomb. Er. Jacket. (laughs) Really? I'm not okay. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, they get on the train have several stops before they actually get off and Mr. Weasley's like oh this is our stop and they get off the train right in the heart of London head up an escalator even though we don't have the same adventure of going down an escalator no there was an escalator <laughs> through the ticket barrier onto the street and Mr. Weasley's just like uh and Harry's just like uh <laughs> and then he- how did those go again <laughs> uh, you, you heard me it's recorded we can go back and play it again Uh. (laughs) but then eventually mr weasley's just like oh yes this way and then apologizes because he's just never used the visitor's entrance before so it just looks weird from this perspective which makes sense right and they make their way down a side road and walk until the buildings get smaller and they're on a street with a bunch of shabby offices a pub and an overflowing dumpster which just sounds super classy I mean, that's what I think of when I think of entrances to magical government department buildings. Sure. Yeah, totally. It kind of makes me wonder, knowing that's where the visitor entrance is located, Mm -hmm. would you rather take the visitor entrance or just apparate or use flu powder? Hmm. I would kind of like to ride the elevator phone booth, if I'm honest. Yeah, I kind of would too. Yeah. Although I also probably would apparate because it's going to be more convenient. I mean, yeah, sure. I don't know if I would like flu powder, but it'd be fun to do once. The flus at the ministry don't look as sooty and as dirty. Well, they can't have their employees looking like a mess when they show up for work. I know, but that's what I'm saying. So it's, I mean, that might be more enjoyable. Maybe. It still sounds kind of dizzying. Oh, yes, definitely. But so is apparition if you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Hmm. Plus, I'm not going to worry about splinching myself. There is that. You know, I think this could make a good Potter pondering. I would like to know what our keepers think. How would they like to arrive? Yeah, arrive in style. Are you taking the flu powder? Are you apparating? Or are you just going to go through the visitor's entrance for funsies? For funsies. Mm-hmm. But Harry is just completely confused about how the entrance to the Ministry of Magic is not in a more impressive location. Oh, give it time, sir. Right? Give it time. 
And then he's even more confused when Arthur leads him into an old red telephone box. Understandably. And he's like, Mr. Weasley, I think this is out of order too. And Mr. Weasley's just like, no, 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 it's fine. And he puts in some money and dials 62442. Magic. Magic. <laughs> Which, yes, for those of you who have yet to figure this out. Mm-hmm. 62442 spells magic on the old cell phone keypads. Alpha numerical code. Uh, yeah. Whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. You youngin' kids today, you won't understand it, but... <laughs> <laughs> when we wanted to text, we had to push... If we wanted an A, we you had to just two. push two. If we wanted an M, we had to push six. And if we wanted a B, we had to push two twice. Yes. <laughs> I got really good at that, though. Most of us did. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, I just got rid of my flip phone like a year ago, so I was still good at it. She was really good at it. I really was. I've lost the skill. The muscle memory's gone at this point. <laughs> Kids today don't know how good you got it. In my day, we had the rotary dials. <laughs> <laughs> No, mine was the Zach Morris phone. That was my first cell phone. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Was... I had I had one of those Nokias that is probably still alive somewhere. Oh my gosh, you can't destroy those things. No. You could run over it with a car and it'd be fine. Right? Unbelievable. I... But I got to play Snake on it. Fuck it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. 62442. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same in the movie, but we don't get the number. I'm so bummed at that. How difficult would it have been to just throw in that little moment? Right. Because you hear the change clinking. Yeah. But whatever. Why didn't he dial anything? How did the elevator know to go down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he didn't dial magic. Yeah. But what happens if a muggle just goes in there and puts in money and then the elevator starts going down? Um... Obliviate! <laughs> they hope they're wearing their brown pants. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, it's pretty similar in the movie. You know, Harry and Arthur go street side. Mr. Weasley watches a passing cyclist go by as they approach a red phone box. Ding! Mm-hmm. Arthur opens the door and mentions that he's never used the visitor's entrance before. Ding! <laughs> exactly. And let's face it, he's kind of shitting himself with excitement. Thing, thing. Like, he's pretty stoked. But they step inside the phone box, and Arthur pulls out his muggle money, and we hear the coins clink, and he deposits them in the phone, and Harry's like, the fuck is going on? Right? Like, total ding. Who are we calling, guy? What's going on? I think on? it's out of order. Yeah. But then, he figures, what else am I gonna do? I mean... I can't get there myself, so I'm just going to trust this guy. And let's be honest, he's seen weirder things. Exactly, right? And so, yeah, he just goes with it. And he looks around, and Mr. Weasley smiles, and he's like, hey, we're doing a thing. We're doing a thing. <laughs> As the inside of the phone booth kind of jerks a little bit and then starts to sink down into the ground elevator style. And it goes all the way down, and then we see... It's replaced by another phone. I love that. That's one of my favorite yeah. little touches. I really love that. I like to imagine that that's how it was in the book, too, because we obviously didn't get that description. Right. It makes me think of Get Smart. 
But it does kind of streamline how things happened in the book because aside from having the number that they dial, they also get a female voice that's welcoming them to the Ministry of Magic. Mm -hmm. And it asks for their name and business. So Arthur's like, I'm Arthur Weasley, Department of the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts. And he says that he's escorting Harry Potter for a disciplinary hearing. Mm -hmm. To which the female voice responds because apparently it's sentient. Sure. It says, visitor, take the badge. And then the badge clicks and rattles out of the coin return. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's just, you know, similar to the size of a coin, but it's square sized silver. And it says, Harry Potter disciplinary hearing. That's a lot to fit on a coin. Right? It's impressive. (laughs) And God we trust. I mean, it would fit. It's just small. I guess. Yeah. But so Harry pins it to his shirt and the voice then directs them to go to the security desk because he needs to be searched. And he needs to register his wand. So the fun is just about it's to just happen. just starting. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> and then the telephone box begins to sink down into the ground. Into the darkness. And further, further, further down. It's just all dark. Harry has no idea where he is, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he just sees a little bit of light. And then it just drops down into this long, splendid hall. And it's just all highly polished dark wood floors and panels on the wall and the ceiling Mm -hmm. is peacock blue and it has all of these different symbols in gold that keep changing like moving hieroglyphs that are like advertisements or something and Mm -hmm. it sounds so awesome right and that is not quite what they gave us when we entered but it was still really cool what we saw yeah oh yeah what we did get was was great it just wasn't this this was incredible sounding so those dark paneled walls were also set with gilded fireplaces Mm -hmm. and on one side witches and wizards are arriving to go to work and then on the other side they have a queue for people waiting to leave Mm -hmm. so probably going off on some kind of official business since it's pretty early at this point yeah or the third shifter is getting ready to go home you know like the janitors and stuff yeah Yeah. but i just like the idea of there being like this is the entrance this is the exit Mm -hmm. gilded fireplaces yeah And then halfway down the hall, Harry can see this large golden fountain that has a group of statues, the largest depicting a witch and a wizard. And then there's three smaller ones that are gazing up at them adoringly. One is a centaur, one is a goblin, and one is a house elf. And it's just kind of like, (laughs) yeah, like, ew, Mm. ew. Guys, y'all need to get your decorator in. We'll talk a little bit more about that one later, too. Because we get a closer up look of it in a couple chapters. Yeah. But in the movie, there are definitely some similarities here. So, yay. (laughs) Woohoo. The phone booth elevator comes to a stop, and Mr. Weasley smiles at Harry as if to say, it's your turn to be impressed now, motherfucker. Like... Now we're going to show you some magic shit. It's going to be awesome. Now you get to ski. Yeah. (laughs) And he opens the door and they step out into the magical wonderland of commerce and politics, also known as the foyer of the Ministry of Magic. Or the atrium. Or the atrium, yes. They make their way towards the lobby as commuters from every direction materialize around them, most of them coming from giant fireplaces via the flu network. Green blains. Mm-hmm. We hear snippets of some conversations, like here and there, everyone's talking about something. And namely, we see a goblin complaining about making some bad trades and losing some galleons. And then we see a newsstand worker who's calling out the Daily Prophet headlines of the day, including today's leading story, Dumbledore, is he daft or is he dangerous? Again, so clever. Look at that alliteration. So just, yeah. 
You guys are so smart. Oh my gosh. The boy who lies. What? Anyway, Harry tries to take all of this in as they make their way through the crowd, and they come to a large open area replete with a fountain topped with golden statues. Which we can assume was what the book described. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you couldn't see them really well, but you were pretty sure. The gist. Yeah. And then you saw dozens of offices stacked on top of each other, framing a large banner of that dumbass Cornelius Fudge, looking around as though he has any fucking clue what's going on. So... So at least he's a good actor. Yeah. Or he genuinely believes it. Right, which is even scarier. Yeah. Actually. That's worse. Yeah. <laughs> In the book, they pretty much just walked right past this fountain, mm -hmm. which is glittering with sickles and canuts. Harry sees a sign that says the proceeds from the Fountain of Magical Brethren will be given to the St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. Mm-hmm. So now we know what the fountain is called. Yeah. And because he's reached the bargaining level. Yeah. <laughs> he says, if I'm not expelled, I will put in 10 galleons. Hey, he can spare it. Maybe it'll work. Yeah. Mr. Weasley then takes Harry to the security station where there's a badly shaven wizard who inspects his wand. And he uses this strange brass instrument, which almost looks like a scale with only one plate. So I imagine he just sets the wand on it and lets it like weigh it so to speak mm -hmm. and then it spits out this strip of parchment that says it's 11 inches phoenix feather core and has been in use for four years mm -hmm. which is kind of cool that's neat yeah i wish we could have seen something like that i love the little touches of magic like that that we didn't get to see a lot of yeah i agree but harry's just like yep that's my wand <laughs> and he gets the wand back and the guard keeps the paper and then before they can walk away the guard's just like hey Looks at his badge, looks at his forehead, looks at his badge, looks at his forehead. And Mr. Weasley's just like, thanks, Eric, and grabs Harry by the arm and just drags him away before it becomes a thing. Well, look at the time. Gotta get going. See you later. Bye, guy. But that's how we learned the security guard's name, Eric. Mm -hmm. Which was our trivia question. Sure was. Facts. Love finding the obscure ones. Mm-hmm. Good old Eric. Good old Eric. <laughs> Needs a shave, but he's a good guy. Yep. From there, they go to one of about 20 lifts mm -hmm. and they join the crowd that's just waiting out front of it. And there's this big bearded wizard who's holding a cardboard box that's kind of like making a rustling sound. Mm -hmm. And then he greets Mr. Weasley and Mr. Weasley calls him Bob and asks, what's in the box? What's, what's in, in the, the box? box? <laughs> but it's not a dick. No. <laughs> or a severed head. It is, in fact, a chicken that can breathe fire. I don't like that. No, no. It's a serious breach of the ban on experimental breeding. It's a chicken that can fry itself, basically. Oh, that's really kind of sad. <laughs> it's a nihilist chicken. <laughs> Which came first, me or the egg? Doesn't matter. We're both going to die. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's probably how Harry will feel if he gets expelled. True. Very true. Speaking of, back to the story. At this point, the lift arrives and everybody just like squeezes in because it's a large group. And I don't know if magic has limits for how many people they can hold. Mm -hmm. And several witches and wizards are noticing Harry 
And they may not necessarily recognize him, but also what the fuck's a kid doing in the Ministry of Magic? So they're just staring at him and he's just flattening his hair down over his head and just looking <laughs> at the ground like, don't notice me, don't notice me. Look, it's an eyeless chicken. Don't look at me. Look at the chicken. Look chicken, at the chicken breathing fire. Fire breathing chicken. I'm not Harry Potter. <laughs> The elevator starts going up and they hear that female voice again that they heard in the phone booth, which announces Level 7, Department of Magical Games and Sports, incorporating the British and Irish Quidditch League headquarters, official Gobstones Club, and Ludicrous Patents Office. <laughs> <laughs> Set patents to Ludicrous. Oh my goodness. I love it. I love all of the level departments included. Mm-hmm. And I never really paid that close attention before, but from this half of the chapter and next week, we get to go through a good chunk of them, and they're great. Yeah, I'm excited. But anyway, the doors open on level seven, and one of the wizards that's carrying an armful of brooms gets off. Everyone else is like, thank God that guy was taking up so much room. Right? <laughs> He's getting poked with a broom. <laughs> and I liked it. I think I'm going to follow him. <laughs> so the elevator keeps moving. And stops at level six, Department of Magical Transportation, incorporating the Flu Network Authority, Broom Regulatory Control, Port Key Office, and Apparition Test Center. This time, four or five witches exit because, like I said, this was a packed elevator. Mm -hmm. And as they're getting off the elevator, several paper airplanes swoop into the elevator. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Weasley's just like, they're interdepartmental memos. We used to use owls, but the mess was unbelievable. <laughs> that might be one of my favorite mental thoughts. <laughs> it's just... Well, for some reason, whenever I get to this part in this book, I then imagine the airplanes leaving droppings. <laughs> just like little paper piles everywhere. Ew. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, Lord. But this is very similar to the movie. They make it to the elevators, and Arthur cordially greets another wizard who is carrying a box containing something that singes his beard. And I'm just throwing this out there. This is just a thought. Maybe if it's flammable, don't keep it in a cardboard box. Like, who the fuck are you, Hagrid? Maybe they put a charm on the box so the box wouldn't burn. Then put a damn charm on your beard, guy. <laughs> just saying. But also, ding. But also, yes, very much ding. We can assume that is Bob. Mm -hmm. And a fire-breathing chicken. That is Bob and his Nihilist chicken. And his Nihilist chicken. <laughs> New band name, Bob and the Nihilist chicken. <laughs> oh, and they have the most fucked up cover of the chicken dance. <laughs> oh, lordy. Good old Bob. Good old Bob. Bob and his chickens. And his Nihilist chickens. <laughs> but moving on. Can't talk about Nihilist chickens all day. Can't we, though? <laughs> we could. Don't tempt me. Let me move on. A number of paper airplanes follow them into the elevator, just like in the book. And Mr. Weasley explains that they are interdepartmental memos. Ding. Ding. <laughs> he then goes on to tell Harry that it was quite a bit of trial and error since they used to use owls, but them bitches be shitting all over the place. Ding. Exactly. Theoretically, it didn't take long to realize that that wasn't the route to go. However, this is government, so it probably took longer than one would hope. <laughs> you have honest. the one guy holding out, <laughs> not using paper airplanes. I have my owl. Yes. I don't trust paper airplanes. Anyone could just grab them out of the sky. I want my trusty owl who will peck a motherfucker. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> that is exactly how that went down. <laughs> oh, but this is also where we're going to cut off both the book and movie section since we ended on a ding. I now want a wizarding version of The Office set in the middle. <laughs> oh, man. And I don't even really like The Office, but I want this. <laughs> I kind of feel like our sitcom of Grim Old Place mm-hmm. could go back and forth between. We could have like different sitcoms all in one. There we go. You know what I mean? It'll be a mishmash. Yeah. It'll be a Frankenstein sitcom. Sitcomstein? Frankensteincom. There it is. The Frankensteincom. <laughs> Moving on. Anywho. (laughs) This is the moment that we have been waiting for Mm -hmm. to talk about Mark Williams' return as Arthur Weasley. Because we saw him a little bit before. Yes. But this was his time to shine. And he is like a 120-watt bulb. Facts. He's amazing. Oh, my God. He is just everything Arthur Weasley needed to be. So Arthur. And I know we totally ended up talking about this a little bit, but the way that he was squatting down and holding onto the railings Mm -hmm. and the awkward step off at the bottom, everything about it was just perfect. He just reminded me of like a little kid. It is first time in the city with his dad or something like. But it's the exact same impression that he yeah. gives off in the books whenever he's talking about muggle stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's incredible. And honestly, we had plenty of moments where Arthur geeked out over muggle artifacts in the books. Mm-hmm. None of them really described it as well as this scene just showed it to us. Yeah. My only complaint is that he wasn't wearing the pinstripe trousers and the old leather bomber jacket. Which is not his fault. I have a very good imagination, so I let it slide. Because <laughs> I just imagine him in them. Yeah, but I really want to see it. But yeah, it would have been chef's kiss. Just Mwah. just Perfect. glorious. Mm-hmm. But he did so well. He is Arthur. There is no other Arthur. There I couldn't isn't. imagine anybody else pulling that off as well as he did. No. Just his childlike excitement. and Just how proud of himself he was when he swiped his hand over it. Like, ah, I did it. It didn't work. I'll try again. It still didn't work. Oh, my gosh. And just the way that he interacts with Harry. I just wish we could have gotten more of this. They had such amazing, strong, just blow your mind actors and actresses for mm-hmm. the adults in this movie. And they barely got to do anything. Yeah. They did not utilize the talent that they had. The talent, no. exactly. You did wonderful with what you were given, but we're sad that that's all you were given. Yeah. That's all I have to say. You deserved more, and we, as moviegoers, mm-hmm. and fans. Definitely. Yeah. And Potterheads, yeah, we deserve more. We deserve all the things. All of the things. All of the Potter things. Yes. But that was really the only new actor that we had to talk about for this scene. Yeah. Aside from Bob and his Nihilus chicken. <laughs> Aside from Bob and his Nihilus chicken. I'm a little bummed that the chicken was just in a box and we didn't get to see it. Right? <laughs> it's kind of just assumed that it's a dragon, obviously, because it does the same singeing that mm-hmm. it does when Hagrid has Norbert. So. Yeah. But if you read the book, you know that it's a fire-breathing a, Nihilus chicken. It's a motherfucking chicken is what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but that'll bring us to our Potter Pondering. Which is, would you rather arrive to the ministry by flu powder, apparition, or the visitor's entrance? Hmm. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. 
make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. You can also stitch them as a response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Mike Riley, who was also just recently here visiting us, and we got to meet him for the first time in person. And he's awesome. He's so awesome. He just did like, dishes for me. <laughs> that's a good house guest right there. I don't even do your dishes. He was a great house guest. Entertained my husband with board games when I went to bed early and cleaned up after himself. <laughs> that's so Canadian. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, he writes, So I have to admit that I redid my Patronus and other stuff because I wasn't a big fan of my results the first time around. And I figured... Hey, if it's canon that you're allowed to choose your house, why can't I redo it? Anyway, second time around, I got Hufflepuff as my house, again, which I was surprised to hear but not entirely disappointed, especially since the common room is right next to the kitchens. My wand is chestnut wood with a phoenix feather core, 12 and a half inches, unyielding flexibility. Not sure what that says about me, but it sounds alright. And my Patronus the second time around was a Borzoi. Which I was all for because it was a dog. And I then looked it up and now I am less satisfied. In my head, it always seemed to me like a Patronus should be something at least mildly protective, largish, able to scare off Dementors anyway. Kind of like when Harry pictured a big Hagrid-like guy with a club when Lupin first told him about the concept, except still an animal. So like a dragon or a hippogriff or a lion... It seems like people don't usually get that type of creature on Pottermore, though, so in my head, my Patronus is still undecided. As for how I got into Harry Potter, I'm not a thousand percent sure. I was always really into reading, but Harry Potter was definitely one of the first series that I read. I imagine my mom probably grabbed it from chapters after asking one of the people who worked there what would be good for people who like fantasy, etc. I was pretty young when I read the first book. It came out when I was three. But I probably started the series when I was closer to six or seven. I remember reading the first book with my mom. Like, she would read to me, but I would also read over her shoulder, so I often got to the end of the page first. At the end of Philosopher's Stone, I read the title of the second last chapter, I think it is, and it was called The Man with Two Faces, and I refused to read that one for like two weeks because it sounded super scary. And then after we finally read it, and finished the book, I think I just took Chamber of Secrets to read on my own because I wanted to read faster than we were going. Altogether, I must have read each book of the series at least five times. More for the earlier ones because I would reread the whole series anytime a new book came out. Harry Potter wasn't the only book series I was into when I was young, but it was definitely a big part of my life and a huge part of the reason I'm such a huge book nerd now. It was a great starter series, and I absolutely plan to pass it on if slash when I have kids of my own. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Mike. Yes, thank you. You're so freaking adorable. Stop it. <laughs> and if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media or our Sorting Hat Saturday post. This week's trivia question is, what offices are located on level three at the Ministry of Magic? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag level three is the place to be, <laughs> <laughs> will get a sticker. 
trying to give him more obscure things or like really long ones to type. So whoever can type the fastest Mm -hmm. with the best internet. And the most Harry Potter knowledge. Yeah. All three at once. Yep. Good luck, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, they'll get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 7, The Ministry of Magic, and these somewhat, but not really, corresponding film scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.